Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I came across, so I I referenced this organization, this publication, quite a bit. It's called the Charlotte Ledger. It's a whole bunch of former uh, reporters who have uh, gone to work in Charlotte for this this local publication, web-based publication. They do a daily newsletter and the like, and uh, it's called the Charlotte Ledger, the Ledger. And uh, you can get it. It's... um, I mean, uh, you can, I think they have different tiers of service, so you can pay for various uh, different components of it. Uh, but it's going pretty well, seems like, and uh, I think uh, they do good work. And so there was a, a series that they were using, and I have not, I hadn't seen this name in a long time, but uh, uh, Charlotte Journal, veteran Charlotte journalist, Michelle Crouch. I haven't heard that name in a very long time. She um, used to work at the Charlotte Observer, and I remember when I was covering the city council meetings, she was on that beat, and so she would she'd be sitting next to me basically while we were covering these stories. And so she's she's a good one, um, I think. And so and she's doing a series or leading this coverage uh, over the course of the week about the kids are not all right is what the uh, the premise is, and it's a. It's an up-close look at teen mental health. The suicide rate in North Carolina for kids ages 10 to 17 has tripled since 2002. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for North Carolina kids ages 10 to 18. And in a 2021 survey, more than one-fifth, so 20%, if I have my math correct, uh, in a 2021 survey, more than one-fifth of North Carolina high school students said they have seriously contemplated suicide, and 43% say they felt sad or hopeless. The reporting found that the surge of adolescent patients with anxiety and depression is putting serious strains on mental health resources in Charlotte as well as all around the state. It's difficult to find psychiatrists and other behavioral health specialists. For instance, the lack of treatment programs for teens in North Carolina is forcing some youngsters that need intensive help to spend days in hospital emergency rooms, which can be scary and even violent places that are typically not set up to treat mental health patients. So they've got this whole um, series this week. I encourage you to check it out at the Charlotte Ledger. It's a Substack publication. Also a Substack publication. Jonathan Haidt. Hate, hate, hate. What's H A I D T? But when you say it, Jonathan hate, it sounds like, like he hates something. You know, hate, hate. Anyway, sorry. He, uh, he's got a Substack. I think it's called Tower of Babel or something, or the Babel. I forget. Um, it's here someplace. After Babel, there it is. After Babel, Substack. He has been doing a lot of work in this area in this field for a long time years and he and other researchers have been gathering prior research conducting their own research and studies and surveys and they've got open source 
Google documents that are uh, open for other researchers to come in and essentially peer review in real time and to add stuff and to ask questions and and it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting stuff if you are into the subject matter and what is the subject matter well it started with the very thing that the ledger is covering this week it's this this uh, rise of I'm hesitating to say the word ailments, but I don't know another word to say but that. And what they pin this to is social media, specifically one platform. You know what it is? Can you guess what the platform is? Instagram. Instagram. They can track, according to their research, they can track the rise, particularly among young girls they can track the rise in anxiety depression suicidal thoughts loneliness like all of these things distracted behavior all of this stuff tracks to roughly 2012 and that just coincidentally was when facebook acquired instagram he says in may of 2019 he was invited to give a lecture at his old high school in scarsdale new york I don't know if you've ever heard of this place, Scarsdale, but it's a it's a thing. It's like a rite of passage, where when you are uh, when you are born, they immediately give you a scar. That's uh, as I understand it. I'm from Long Island. That's what we always heard. Anyway, before he did this uh, this lecture at his old high school, he met with the principal and a couple of his top administrators, top men or may, or women too. I don't know. Anyway, he said that he heard the school like most high schools in America, was struggling with a large and recent increase in mental illness among its students. The primary diagnoses were depression and anxiety, including increased rates of self-harm, and girls were particularly vulnerable. So this is 2019 he hears about this. Coming out of middle school, uh, a lot of students were already anxious and depressed. Many were already addicted to their phones. Ten months later, so now this is 2020, he was invited to give a talk at Scarsdale Middle School. He heard the same thing, right? So so he first goes back to his high school and they tell him, oh, they're coming out of middle school like this. So almost a year later, he goes to talk to at the local middle school, one of the schools that feeds into Scarsdale High, right? So now he's at the middle school and the, the, uh, the adults in the middle school are telling him the same thing. They're coming like this from elementary. And he says this wasn't merely a coincidence to the teachers and the administrators. They saw clear links between rising phone addiction and declining mental health, to say nothing of declining academic performance. A common theme in his conversations was, quote, we all hate the phones. Keeping students off of them during class was a constant struggle. I hear this too, by the way, in my own you know, personal life. I know, I know teachers. I'm related to teachers. And they tell me the same thing. It's a constant battle. Getting students' attention was harder because they seemed permanently distracted and congenitally distractible. Drama, conflict, bullying, and scandal 
all played out continually during the school day on platforms which the staff had no access to. So Jonathan Haidt asks, why not just ban the phones during school hours? And you know what the school officials say? You know what you know why they can't? Parents. Parents won't let them. They'd be too upset if they could not reach their kids during the school day. So parents demanding to have access to their child via phone during the day, even if it harms the child? All right, you may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while, and it's a great organization. they got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid, and back then there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family. Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. It's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month, there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? For more time, for treatments, this is why we walk. So, Jonathan Haidt, so the question here for you, I guess, is uh, whether or not you think we should move to phone-free schools. Phone-free schools. Or, or is there a compromise position here that would be sort of a larger uh, approach, shall we say? I did get a tweet at Pete Callender. It's a Pete tweet from MAGA, American uh, American Pitbull, I should say, um, who says the word you are looking for is affliction. Affliction is a state of pain, suffering, distress, or agony. See, I don't have the rim shot out here, so I, I can't even make the joke like, well, no, that's the definition for radio work. Okay. Um, <laughs> I kid. I kid. I kid. So, uh, oh, thank you, Bernie, comes through with the uh, rim shot back in studio. Appreciate that, Bernie. Uh, So, yes, I've got the affliction now, and uh, we'll put it, uh, I wrote it down, so I I shall remember. It's better than ailment. Right. So these afflictions that are affecting kids, and according to the research, it's becoming more and more clear. It's, I mean, it's, and according to Jonathan Haidt and his fellow researchers, they believe they've proven it. They believe all evidence points in this one direction. And it, and it is causation. And it is Instagram. And social media. And smartphones. So is it time to just outright ban smartphones in schools? And according to these teachers and school officials, the reason why they can't do it is they get pushback from parents. He addresses this later on in the piece. Let me see if I jump ahead to it. Um, Because it's a very lengthy piece. I'm not going to go over all of the the deal. Uh, Here it is. Um, Wait a minute. Yes. He says, A common argument comes from parents, many of whom are afraid that something might go wrong at school. And they want to ensure that they can reach their kid at all times. These fears are understandable, but are also part of the causes 
of Gen Z's mental health problems. In his book, Paranoid Parenting, sociologist Frank Ferretti, Furetti, or Ferretti, 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 Ferretti. Anyway, uh, Frank, sociologist, uh, describes how a new style of protective parenting swept through British and American society in the 1990s in response to the perception that risks to children were rising. When parents believe that everything is risky and they can't trust other adults to protect their kids, they take a more defensive approach to parenting. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, however, they try to protect their kid from all risks, even when that deprives the kid of valuable experiences of independence. But today's parents, who grew up during a period when crime rates were much higher than they are now, generally have fond memories of walking or biking to school with other kids, or just having time away from parental supervision to hang out with their friends. I believe that children and teens would benefit developmentally if they were to go six or seven hours each day out of contact with their parents. That is... That, I think, is true. Free play. It forces kids to have to navigate the interpersonal relationships and the politics, dare I say, of dealing with friends, right? Hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Well, if one kid wants to go play basketball and the other kid doesn't, they've got to find something that they both want to do or else they're not going to be able to hang out together, right? So you learn how to, how to interact, but you also learn how to overcome obstacles together because you're away from your parents, you're riding your bikes around, uh... Right, you know, you encounter some supernatural monster from the upside down, and then you're, you know, saving the world. You never know how these things shake out. Let's talk with Mike. Welcome to the program. Hey, Mike, how are you? Good, Pete. Semper Mayo. I'm sorry, what was that? Semper Mayo. Semper Mayo. <laughs> That's good. Yes, sir, right hey, back anyway, at you. I, I wonder how many of these schools that are, are deferring to parents on cell phones are ignoring parents on gender identity issues? Well, that's a great question. Um, maybe there's more universal outrage among parents when, they, when their kids don't get the cell phone. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of scary, I guess, too. Like that, that there sure. would be more outrage about taking the kids' cell phones from them during right. the school day than keeping... Uh, hidden from them that their child is uh, going through uh, social transitioning. Exactly, and and for me, I would just I would just tell kids, okay, here's the basket. Put your phone in the basket. If there's an emergency, come get it, or you can get it at the end of class. You can bring it to class, but but I'll I'll hold it in my basket up at my desk. So that right. So that's one option that's available. They make uh, like lockers that schools can. Um, uh, put in, you know, put in. They can install them, and then you got to put your cell phone into the locker, get a key, that sort of thing. Uh, they've got. Uh, uh, well, I mean, think about it too. You could line the whole uh, hallway with these lockers, and then they could put like books in them and like jackets, maybe. Like you could use those lockers for other things if they make them large enough. Yeah, I think yeah, that might and, work, and, and it makes it easy for the drug dogs to uh, do their sniffing. 
<laughs> that's, that's true, too. Hey, Mike, I appreciate the call, man. Thank you. Um, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, they actually do make, like, smaller lockers, so I guess you could install them in each classroom or something. Um, but, you know, just a, I mean, to Mike's point, just a basket or a box or something. Just toss them all in there. Um, the other thing is uh, they've got pouches where they uh, the students get these pouches and they put the phones in them and they zip them up and lock them but then uh, apparently you know then they get to hold the phone with them but the kids have figured out ways to beat the locking mechanism on the pouches so that doesn't work so well either um let me see here because uh, they talk about this in their uh, Substack piece. Jonathan Haidt does, I should say. He's got, what is it here, page 7, page 6. Now, page 2. He had them, I promise you. Oh, here they are. Level 1. Students can take their phones out during class, but only to use them for class purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll happen. Uh, level 2. Students can hold on to their phones, but are not supposed to take them out of their pockets or backpacks at all. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. Level three, phone caddies in classrooms. Students put their phones into a wall pocket or storage unit at the start of each class and then pick them up at the end of that class. Level four, lockable pouches, as I just mentioned. Uh, And then level five, phone lockers, where you got to lock your phone in a secure unit when they arrive at the school. Um, Let me get back to this issue of the parents' opposition. Today's parents who grew up during a time when crime rates were higher and have memories of, you know, being outside of the presence of their mom and dad every single hour of the day, right? So what happened? How about school shootings? That's what that you hear this, uh, uh, this issue come up, that they're so terrified of the school shootings, and so that's why they need to have the smartphone in their kids' hands at all times. Um... He says, look, I'm a father of two high school students, and of course, I, want, I would want to connect with my children in such a nightmare scenario. But would a school where every student has a smartphone be safer than one in which only the adults had smartphones? Ken Trump, no relation, uh, the president of National School Safety and Security Services, cautions that cell phone use during emergencies can actually increase safety risks. Quote, during a lockdown, students should be listening to the adults in the school who are giving life-saving instructions, right? Phones can distract from that. Silence can also be key. So you, know, you also don't want that phone noise attracting attention, right? I mean, it, when every single event you go to is punctuated by the you know inappropriate, poorly timed ringing or beeping of a cell phone, right? Do you really want to run that risk? You hear You hear shots ring out, like the first thing everybody's got to do is what mute their phones silence their phones or something but even if you put it on the vibrate you could still hear it you know also jonathan Haidt says it seems to me that 300 parents rushing to the school in 300 cars would probably make things more difficult for first responders and in fact uh there is a book that um it was called day of wrath and it was written by dr william forston the guy who wrote one second after, and the three subsequent sequels. Um, he's out of Western North Carolina, and I had him on the program. We, he is a history professor at Montreat College, and we actually talked with him about Gettysburg uh, on the anniversary of Gettysburg. And uh, he wrote this book called Day of Wrath, 
and it told precisely that story. What happens in a coordinated, professional, trained attack on schools, like they saw in Beslan, Russia? What happens then? And that's one of the things. That is one of the things that happens. Um, it's a very disturbing book. I do not recommend it for the, uh, the weak of heart. Evidence of an international epidemic of mental illness started around 2012, and it has continued to accumulate, he says. This is evidence. Evidence. The thing that, you know, we have none of for Joe Biden taking any money or being involved in Hunter's business at all, right? Evidence. Two weeks ago, the U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory warning that social media can carry a, quote, profound risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. He says the time is right for parents and educators to ask, should we make the school day phone-free? Would that reduce rates of depression, anxiety, and self-harm? Would it improve educational outcomes? And Jonathan Haidt, who has been researching this for six years, he says, I believe the answer to all of these questions is yes. Let me go to Elva. Welcome to the uh, program. How are you? Hello, Elva. Is it Elva? Yes. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Is this Pete? It is. Well, I enjoy your show so much. Well, but thank today you. I, I just had to break down and make the phone call <laughs> to ask you to consider a thought about the phones in the schools. Mm-hmm. I understand the prison system had a similar problem with phones. Of course, a much more dark side to using a phone. But I'm wondering if the school would have the ability to block the Wi-Fi system that they're offering the kids to use mm-hmm. during certain times of the day and then turn it back on for lunch and breaks and that sort of thing. But during classrooms, just block any phone signal. Would that not work? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it would work at a localized classroom level. But yes, at, at, a, at a larger level, yeah, if they're using the Wi-Fi, sure. But if they are not on the Wi-Fi, if they're just using uh, the, you know, the satellite signals or the yeah, cell tower their signals, yeah. yeah, they could still use them. But you could, I mean, you could essentially jam all the phones, but the problem there is that you're then jamming all the phones of the school personnel too. So they probably can't mm-hmm. do it uh, for that reason as well. Unless they, um, well, you know, they I got, think they, can, they may have to make a little sacrifice too. Yeah. So uh, the, mean, Jonathan Haidt actually offers. Uh, Jonathan Haidt actually offers a solution to this, and it's not to necessarily take up all the phones. It's to take up all the smartphones. Just the smartphones. Uh huh. So I'll explain it in a minute. Elva, I appreciate the call. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. Uh, we are out here at the Little Heroes Blood Drive, fourth annual, at, outside of PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. Come give some blood, uh, get some gift certificates, and uh, say hi. I'll be here until 3 o'clock. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply, food, water purifiers, lighting, 
tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? Uh, why don't we jump over? Oh, no, that's the wrong one. Let's have about this one. We'll go to line two. This is Mike. Welcome to the program. Hey, Mike, how are you? Uh, hi, I can barely hear you. Okay. I mean, I can hear you all right. Okay, I've got you there. Uh, okay. Yeah, just something you uh, mentioned a minute ago, uh, keeping first responders from getting to the school. I saw that happen at a high school in Charlotte, Olympic High School, about 20 years ago when I worked there. Uh, we had a lockdown over really nothing. There had been a fight, and when checking book bags in the office, one of the boys had a knife in his bag. Well, policy was weapon on campus, automatic lockdown. Right. Well, by the time the kids got through calling their parents, the story was that there was a gunman stalking the halls. (laughs) And Sandy Porter Road was jammed. The driveway in front of the school was jammed. Police when they finally got there, had to park out at the road or in the bus lot. They couldn't get into the school immediately. And it was a big problem because of phones. Uh, secondary problem that thankfully was not uh, that day, if there really had been a gunman in the halls. We had parents banging on the doors demanding their children be brought to them. Mm-hmm. So if there's gunmen in the hall, your child is a lot safer in a locked cinder block room than being called out in the hall. Well, and also, um, as depicted in the uh, the novel Day of uh, Day of Wrath, was that the it, 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 heretofore we have always seen the gunmen aiming at the kids. But what if there are trained gunmen who are there to do terrorism? They then train their sights on the parents who are coming up to the schoolhouse and start shooting them as well. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah. mean, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate the call, Mike. I'm sorry, we're on a bit of a delay out here up in uh, Davidson. So, yeah, I mean, that is that is uh, uh, one of the problems caused by the smartphones in the classrooms. Now, one of the, uh, one of the workarounds, I, I should say, or one of the solutions, if you will, if you're not willing to... Um, not willing to have your kid be completely incommunicado and live their life like, you know, every single generation of humans have lived prior to, like, well, me. I mean, honestly, like, I'm the Gen X. This is what makes us the best generation is that we still remember, like, we grew up a foot in both worlds, kind of. Like, we were around when, like, I was, um, I want to say, like, kids in my high school started getting pagers. I mean, yes, they were certain kids that were offering certain products, but they were getting pagers. Also, the doctors who were in my high school class, they had pagers too, I assume. I assume they were doctors because they had pagers, and I didn't know that they offered anything. I mean, they never offered it to me, so I don't... Anyway, they had pagers. So that's when I remember the, the, this, this sort of trend starting, and then it was shortly after that that we started seeing the next tells. Remember those? Beep, 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 beep. And you, like a little walkie-talkie things. And then we had the flip phones. And then, like, the flip phone could take a picture. Ooh. You couldn't really do anything with it, but then you could attach it. And then we got email. BlackBerry came along. 
You got email on it. And then came the iPhone, right? The smartphones, the glass uh, face tablets and stuff. Do the kids need all of that at early ages? And I would submit, and Jonathan Haidt submits, no, they do not. If you want to be in communication with the child, then you can still give them a phone, but you give them a dumb phone. You give them just a stripped-down, basic phone, makes phone calls, sends texts. That's it. There are various levels of this stuff, but that's it. He actually provides, there's a uh, website here, a list of dumb phones, and they have dumb watches as well. That's not, no, okay. So, like, it's a little bit more than your current watch. It's a watch that still makes phone calls, and you can text. So, that's it. It's texting, and there are some that limit the number of accounts that you can put into the phones. So, you can't text, the kid can't text more than, like, three people. That's it. Um, There's a website for an organization uh, called Wait Until Eighth. Have you heard of this? Wait until 8th. They're saying wait until 8th grade. And Jonathan Haidt says, I would suggest that the goal be wait until ninth, Just because of the way our schools are set up, you know, with middle school, uh, you know, running 6th, 7th, 8th. And so it just, it doesn't make sense if you've, you know, say wait till 8th. And so now you're going to try to police kids in the 8th grade, but not in the 6th and 7th grades. So why not just push it all the way to ninth grade? And only give the kids dumb phones until ninth grade, until they get to high school. Because all of the research is lining up to show that when you give the kids the smartphones, they perform in virtually all areas of their lives more poorly. Academics, socialization, anxiety, mental health, depression stuff, all of it. If you're under the or sorry, if you're over the age of 25, you have a fully mature frontal cortex to help you resist temptation and maintain focus. Wait, where was I? What was I? Hang on. Anyway, you probably, though, still have difficulties doing so. Even though, all things being equal, your brain is fully developed over the age of 25. And think about how easily you get distracted. Now think about everybody under the age of 25, and their brains aren't formed yet. I mean, fully formed. They're like they got like half a brain. Or, I mean, not in mass, size or anything. But in function, right? It's not, it is, it is a, it is not a fully operational brain. So why would you then distract that non-fully functional brain during a time of their life while they're developing the brain, but also they need to pay attention. They need discipline and they need to learn stuff. Why would you distract them? So. Thank you.